Welcome to the Holy Smokes Podcast, a show about faith, friendship, fine tobacco and drink. I'm Steve Ryder, and I am in Executive Cigar. Correct. Here in Sanford, Florida. I'm out here. I'm going to be working uh, for a client at NRB, National Religious Broadcasters, in the coming week. I came out a couple days early to hang out with Eric Reinhold, staying with him. Going to talk a little bit about smoke on the water probably tomorrow, record one about how he built that. But I'm here with Joe Dalton, who is the managing partner of Executive Cigar here in Sanford. So, Joe, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to be here. I appreciate it. Thanks, Eric, for setting this up. It's all a journey, right? It's been quite a journey. You know, I grew up in a great family, um, I would say, religiously. Where did you um, grow up? North Carolina was born. Okay, where um, where in North Carolina? Greensboro. We moved around a lot. My father was a, a regional manager for Roadway Trucking Company, so we didn't stay anywhere long. Uh, everywhere they opened a new terminal, we moved. So I was like, never. Wh- where were some of those locations? Uh, South Carolina, Georgia, Ohio, and then Florida. Finally, in '79. So, came here uh, in middle school, and um, it was great. We loved Florida. Got to go to a, a great high school that was just built, Lake Mary High School. I was in the first ever graduating class there in '84. Yeah. And um, when the school was built, we went in as sophomores and there was nobody above us. So we were kind of a senior class for three years, which was a really unique experience, Um, except on the football field when you're playing teams that have juniors and seniors, then that was not quite as fun. You played football? I did. I played football and and soccer, but soccer was the sport that kind of carried me into college and even uh, spent a little time with the Orlando Lions. And so that was a lot of fun. Uh, What positions did you play? I was a goalkeeper. In, In football? Football is a free safety and kicker. Oh. Yeah. Obviously, the soccer skills made over. Kick, correct. Over, yeah. Translated over to football. Right. For sure. Yeah. Had a, had a great time with it. Lots of varied um, businesses uh, that I've been involved with. Um, did you go know, to college at all? I did. Northeast Louisiana University on a soccer scholarship. Yeah. Played soccer out there after my freshman year, um, the NCAA Band, there was some illegal recruiting going on, and so the NCAA put a penalty on them. And so I came back here. You lose a year of eligibility when that happens. And um, that, that, that to me is ridiculous. That that someone's someone else's infraction, someone else's crime, really breaking the rules, affected all not just you, but all of these other players that had left. Right. And I'm not sure that's still the case today, but it was then. So oh. not, you know, nothing you can do yeah. about it at that point. But I was able to still remain uh, involved in, in soccer. The Orlando Lions were just kind of getting off the ground in what was the uh, USL back then, long before the MLS existed. Yeah. And uh, so I got to play with them for a little bit, which was a lot of fun. Got involved in, in coaching, went back and coached at my high school alma mater for several years. And even ran a, a nonprofit uh, called Soccer Outreach International for a little bit, which was a lot of fun. And um, you know, the the typical got married, had three beautiful children, was having quite a bit of success from a business standpoint. Um, Talk about the business. 
So I was able to uh, get involved in the consulting arena early on, and uh, it was a niche consulting company that specialized in the horticulture industry. And so we did a lot of executive recruiting. Uh, we did some brand marketing, and then we got into some merger and acquisition work in that arena. That sort of moved into the landscape segment of horticulture. So that was when the big landscape roll-ups like Kim Lawn and True Green were happening. The unique thing about consulting was you get to spend a lot of time with really brilliant entrepreneurs, and uh, you get to spend some time with some really not brilliant entrepreneurs. So it was a good education really? for me, and I was able to translate that into some other fields. I spent some time with a large greenhouse automation company out of Holland that sold uh, systems that based on weather patterns controlled how much water the plants got and whether the greenhouses opened or closed and temperature regulation and things like that. And that was a lot of fun. What, uh, around what time was that, a year-wise? Uh, that was back in the early 90s. Yeah. And through that, I, I met a gentleman out of Texas who was starting a, a landscape company that he wanted to do some acquisitions on around the country. And so I sort of developed their company here in Florida helped them buy a few companies and then ran the Florida division for a bit. And then, um, you know, one of the things, uh, as I was kind of doing the trade show circuit, I found myself, they talk about how you can spend all day on the trade show floor, but all the business is done at the bar after the trade show ends till two o'clock in the morning. And I definitely became an overachiever in that market and both doing well at business, but also drinking too at much the at the bar. In the did, did you grow up in? You went to a Christian high school, right? No, I went no. to a public high school. Okay. Yep. Did, did you? Did your parents were, raise you with the faith? Or? Absolutely. We. I was raised. Uh, we went to church. I was involved in the youth group. I did all the right things and made all the right moves to make you believe that I had a wonderful relationship with Christ. Looking back at that time, um, I'm not sure I had a personal relationship. I had a public relationship with him. Don't really, can't tell you that I had a personal relationship with him. And then those two things are very different. Yeah. So your drinking is starting to escalate. Your business success is blowing up. What's going on? Was there a breaking point? I wish I could find and tell you that breaking point. They talk about that invisible line sometimes that people that struggle with alcohol or even drug addiction cross, and they don't really know when they cross it. For me, it started to affect my work. It started to affect my family. It started to, you know, I would, I'd show up at dinner where I was gonna meet my wife and kids and I'd get there early so that I could have a few more drinks versus just the one I wanted to have with my in front of my wife and kids. So it definitely took hold. I was still successful, still involved with my family. I was traveling a lot though. I was traveling probably two weeks a month and drinking heavily. And ultimately it cost me that job. And um, why? What was going on that it cost you the job? Were you just starting, not performing? I, I was not performing. I was starting to miss some key meetings. I was starting to not be prepared because drinking was starting to become more important than anything else for me. 
it really continued to take hold. Um, even, even after getting let go? After, even after getting let go. And, and that's the thing with alcoholism, you know, that I've learned, and I'll continue to get into that a little bit, but on that journey, it's truly cunning, baffling, powerful, all the things they say that it is. It, it tells you what it, it wants you to believe. And, you know, it, it led to the breakup of my family it simply became the most important thing. And when I say most people will not understand this unless they know someone or that they're close with that has struggled with addiction, but um, they always say it was like looking at me through a glass door. They wanted to be able to help me, but they just couldn't get through. And um, it takes what it takes to hit whatever someone's rock bottom is. And, and I wasn't there yet. And, and I will tell you that, um, losing your family, correct. Losing your job didn't get you there. No, wow. No, uh, ruining myself financially didn't get me there. It was to the point to where I was truly hanging out in bars. I, I didn't want to go home. I, all of a sudden it was everyone else's fault. And, um, you know, the, the alcohol had me believing that the environment I needed to be in was a bar with all my so-called friends. And that's where I chose to spend my time. And ultimately that led to a breakup of the marriage and, and to a point to where I literally walked out of my house with my young son begging me not to leave because I wanted to go spend more time with this other group of people where I could drink and at that time be what I thought was myself. That spiral lasted for a, a number of years to the point of uh, I was literally just trying to survive doing some construction work with a buddy of mine just to have enough money to you know, be able to buy more alcohol. It ruined the relationship at that time with my kids, certainly with my ex-wife, with my parents. There was still support. Everybody was still hoping that something would happen and my life would change, but it certainly didn't seem to be heading in that direction. And it got to the point where um, one day I, I literally couldn't walk. I was having a lot of physical issues and um, I finally went to the hospital and this was 2016, so I was 50. And the potassium and magnesium levels were so low that it was affecting my system. And so I spent four weeks in ICU right here in the Sanford Hospital with doctors coming in and out telling me, you have to stop drinking. It's not a joke. Your body can't take it anymore. And uh, I, I left the hospital, went back to the same living situation that I, I was in, that I had put myself in, and stopped drinking for uh, two months. And uh, at that two-month mark, I thought, well, I, I feel pretty good, you know? I'm going to go ahead and have a drink. And uh, the thing about um, being an alcoholic is one drink turns into two and two turns into four and four turns into eight. And so it was uh, very quickly that I was right back in that downward spiral again. That led uh, me right back into ICU 
again about six weeks after that. And that quick. That quick. And another four weeks in ICU. And uh, my father actually came when I was being discharged to drive me back to the house I was living at. And I remember we stopped to get a sandwich and, and he said, why don't you just come stay with your mom and I, or let's get you some help. And I said, no, I'm good, dad, I'm fine. And um, How old were you at the time? 50. Yeah. And um, this is the funny thing about alcoholism is I tell you that story and it's going to be hard for you to believe. I got home and I had a drink that night from the hospital, second stint in ICU. So move that forward just a little bit to May of 2016 and my son is getting ready to graduate high school. I was invited to go to his graduation and I didn't want to drink that day while I was going. So I didn't have anything to drink. And I got there and I'm sitting with my, my two daughters, my ex-wife, my parents, my brother and sister and their families. And um, when you are drinking that much, and when I say drinking that much, it was from the time I would wake up in the morning to the time I went to sleep, whatever time that was. And so I didn't have anything to drink that day. I sat down and, and as my son was getting ready to walk across the stage, I had a grandma seizure. Because of withdrawals? Yes, correct. And uh, so as my son is supposed to be celebrating one of his greatest days, he can look out and see paramedics tending to his alcoholic father. So um, following that, um, my oldest daughter made an appointment with some connections she had at, at Florida Hospital for me to go in. And um, it was uh, Father's Day of that year, June in 2016, June 19th. And I was supposed to go be with my parents and, and my dad that day. And I met with my two daughters for breakfast and I couldn't eat. I knew at that point that, um, you know, that, that this thing was in a, a no-win situation. And um, so I, my daughter said, I'm picking you up tomorrow morning and we're going to Florida hospital. And I didn't take another drink. I went into the hospital. My girls came to see me one night and said, dad, if you don't get some help, we're not going to come see you in the hospital anymore. We're not going to watch you die here. So I went three weeks in the hospital. At that point, they were talking about the, a liver the, transplant. The, the point at which your daughters said that, what was going, did it hit you? It did. Like a sledgehammer? It hit me like a sledgehammer. And it's not that people hadn't said something similar before. It was just that there was something in me that made me ready at that point. Two hospital stays and a grand mal seizure, and then your daughters telling you that. I, I, the, it, I, I could assume that that was kind of very pivotal. It was, and, and the other thing that I think was pivotal was recognizing that through that entire time, whether I was consciously searching for that relationship with Christ that I had never really pursued at a personal level, he was still right there meeting me where I was at and had always been there and always, he was the one that was always ready for that day. And it took me finally being ready for that day. So I went straight from 
a three-week stay in the hospital uh, to a rehab facility in South Florida. The interesting thing about that is it, it's my ex-wife who picked me up at the hospital and drove me down to South Florida. And I'll never forget her saying as I was getting out of the car to go into this rehab facility, her telling me that she was proud of me and me saying, this is the least proud moment of my life. And she said, you're, you're deserving of something better. Wow. And I'll just always, I'll always remember that. And so did your ex-wife have a strong faith? Yes. Or? Yes. Very. Um, so I, um, you know, I, I was ready. So I, I was at the rehab facility. I, I listened to what my counselor said. I dug into what truly it meant to be an alcoholic or to struggle with addiction issues. And um, when it came time to leave, it was my oldest daughter who said, I want you to come live with me when you come back in Mount Dora with her and her husband for a little while. And, uh, and I did that. And uh, I immediately got into uh, an AA program and um, June, God willing, June uh, 19th uh, will be seven years of sobriety for me. And, uh, you know, it might be a little odd that I own a cigar lounge, you know, with a full liquor bar. Yeah. But maybe that's why it's profitable. I don't know. You know, <laughs> um, it, it's interesting. God removed the desire for me to take a drink. And I'm grateful for that. I'm very involved in recovery. I speak at a lot of AA meetings. I go to AA meetings because I need to hear the story of the guy 10 years sober, 15 years sober, who decided he could go back out and have a drink and listen to the story about how, once again, it was just a downward spiral for him because it's truly a one day at a time program. And I've learned that, but it saved my life and I'm a big believer in it. And, um, Sobriety is only a small piece of what that program does because even sober life happens and um, there's a lot of things that you have to deal with that you really didn't deal with for a long time when you were drinking. Um, what were some of those things that you dealt with in the, those other things? Financial responsibilities, you know, being a good parent just because you get sober doesn't all of a sudden make you good at those things. I can still screw a lot of things up sober. So those are all aspects of my life that I'm grateful for today, but that I don't take for granted. You know, I, my ex-wife and I are very close today. I have a wonderful relationship with my children. I'm remarried to an amazing lady who you got to meet earlier. Yeah. yeah. My middle daughter, Madison, gave me, a, well, not me, but her and everyone else too, a beautiful grandson who's uh, who will be two here soon, who my wife and I get to go babysit tomorrow night. And there was a time in my life that never would have happened. She never would have let that happen. So, you know, today it's a very different story. My relationship with God is tremendous and it's strong and it gets stronger by the day. That's my story. That's my journey. And it's, uh, it's not a story I'm proud to tell. But, um, but, but, but it's a story that people can listen to that I, chances are there's maybe someone who's listening who's just walked out that's, and, and is in the shoes that you were and 
this could be a wake up call for them or just another voice or just that just another episode, another story that is going to set them on the right path, whether it's now or a year from now or two years from now or hopefully not longer. And that's why I tell it because people told me that story and that helped me. People still tell me that story. You know, it's why I stay involved. So I'm, I'm very fortunate, very blessed, both personally and professionally. Interestingly enough, my father owned a, a couple of ServPro franchises here, and, and that was a family business for a long time. And uh, what is ServPro? ServPro is a, a restoration company. They do fire and water and mold and crime scene cleanup, those kind of things. So once I came back from rehab, he had had those franchises for 40 years. Um, and uh, it wasn't growing as quickly as it had kind of plateaued and a lot of uh, social media and things that had come along um, were not necessarily in his wheelhouse. My father was an amazing operations guy. I mean, that's what he did. He was a leader, wonderful with employees. But on the, on the marketing side, I think there were some things happening that, that were being missed. So I was asked to come on and try and move that forward. And he was having some health issues as well. So I did that. I was nervous. I knew I had had success in business, but at this point in my life with everything, you know, I wasn't sure, but we did well. Uh, I was able to get it and we, I was able to sell it for them uh, this past summer. And so cash them out. My parents are, are fina- financially, you know, in a place where they don't have to worry about anything at this point. And um, I, with Executive Cigar here. Um, They opened about four years ago. I was a customer on day one. Original financial investor, Tom Darnell, who's a a partner of mine who lives in Melbourne, and I became good friends. We have another company as well together. And as I was watching this beautiful cigar lounge on the lake not quite have some of the success that I think it could have voiced that to Tom, and uh, I think Tom got tired of hearing me say that and finally said, why don't you uh, put your money where your mouth is? And so I did uh, in July and, and um, we've just done a, we've had a good time turning this around and uh, getting a new staff in here. And that's the key to the success of this place. The, they're tremendous. And uh, you know, it's, I've never done retail, but it's processes and procedures. It doesn't really matter what the product line is. And, so it's been great. It, I got introduced to Holy Smokes. Actually, a couple of good friends that I grew up with. I grew up with Jim Boggess, who is John Boggess's brother, and John and I have become good friends. And Kirk Solberg, I went to high school with. Um, I and love so, Kirk. Yeah, he's fantastic. Kirk. You know, his wife Michelle. They're just really great people. And so uh, when I got introduced to Holy Smokes, it was just this wonderful fit and then the cigar lounge and making all that happen um they're wonderful about wanting to come here and and have meetings here and and we always love that so i still haven't been able to get out to to eric's spot yet but i'm looking forward to that soon so i hear it's fantastic oh it's awesome yeah the cigar family in general what i have found after being in the business is very familial anyway and I love just the culture and the ability to sit down and share something in common with someone else, 
even though that might be the only thing you have in common. There's nothing, it doesn't seem divisive no matter which end of the political or religious spectrum or sports team you sit on. There's just a com an immediate camaraderie that seems to be there in the cigar world. When you add a faith-based group like Holy Smokes in on top of that, where you can sit around and um, just very unencumbered talk about your faith and what's led you there or maybe what your struggles are or what you need prayed for or how you can pray for another brother, it just makes it that much better. It adds an element to already an amazing experience in sharing a cigar, even more wonderful. That's awesome. Joe Dalton with Executive Cigar in Sanford, Florida. Let's get to rapid fire questions. Okay. Hey everyone, I wanted to announce that we have Holy Smokes gear. That's right, we have swag. We currently have hats, shirts, stickers, like for your vehicle or your travel humidor, magnets, even branded bourbon glasses for a limited time. Go to holysmokes.club and click on the shop tab. That's holysmokes.club. Club. I'm super proud of the shirts. They're made with Bella Canvas shirts that are soft and incredibly comfortable. The hats fit wonderfully, which can be a problem for those of us with big noggins. We plan on having a lot more to offer, like Guayabara shirts, additional t-shirt designs, beanies, polos, hoodies, cigar accessories, and much more. Check it out. And even if you don't make a purchase now, be sure to sign up for that email list, as I've thrown a couple big discount coupon codes for those exclusively on that list. So click the shop tab at holysmokes.club. Thanks. Here. So what you smoking? Uh, I'm smoking the Hefe number two, um, which is uh, it's got a Cameroon filler in it. Uh, it's a Nicaraguan wrapper. Just a really solid, smooth cigar. It's a local company here. It's one of the really? boutique local companies we carry. Yeah, it's fantastic. Very cool. Very cool. When did you first try cigars or pipe? First cigar, I was with a buddy of mine in my 20s. We were going to the Masters in Georgia, and he smoked cigars. And so I wanted to have a cigar, too. How so, long ago was that? Uh, in my 20s, it was 35 years ago, probably. And I wanted to have one, so he gave me one, and I lit it, and I started to smoke it. And he took it away from me and said, don't ever do that again. You look stupid trying to smoke a cigar. Um, <laughs> So I didn't for about 20 years. Literally, it was in my 40s when I, I decided to start smoking a cigar again. And, and I've always been a notes type person, whether it was wines or now coffees. And so getting into the different notes of cigars was very interesting and intriguing. And I've, I really enjoy it to this day. Do you ever do pipe? I have not. What's interesting, though, is so we smoke our old fashions here with pipe tobacco. Oh. Oh. They tell me it's delicious. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, is that what you got? You didn't get the smoked one? No. Okay. Next time, you got to try it. What's your favorite cigar? The Amazon Basin. Yeah. It's this... Rick Rodriguez, who was with CAO General Cigar, created that blend, and it's just a tremendous stick. You can't get it 
right now. There's uh, like every three years they roll that out. And I always buy a box at least uh, because we only get a certain allocation and I do have to sell to customers still. But I always get the box and think I'm really going to hold on to this box and keep it for six months. And then two weeks later, I'm like, what happened? <laughs> but it's a great, it's a great cigar. Describe it for the listener. What, what, it, to, so what, what is sure. it? Yeah. it? It's it, number one, it comes out of the Amazon. So the soil is very different obviously. So it, it certainly has those earth tones. You get a lot of coffee, you get a little bit of cocoa, but you get that smooth, earthy tone. And it's not one of those that changes a third into it. It's, it tastes exactly the same from start to finish. And it's, they're always just beautifully constructed. It's a fantastic smoke. Eric has two at his house. All right. So, a most expensive cigar you've ever smoked? The recent Opus 25, which is about 300 a stick. We got an allocation of those in, and my partner and I decided on New Year's Eve we were going to have one together. And um, Was it worth it? It's worth it because it's so unique and um, rare, so you can't get it. It was probably the most well-constructed cigar I've ever smoked. It had plenty of flavor, but for $300, I'll take 20 Amazon Basins instead. Where's your go-to place to get cigars? Obviously here. Obviously here, yes. We have great relationships with our reps, so we, this is the place. What's your splurge cigar? Hmm... What's a go-to in the humidor here at Executive Cigar that you're celebrating a good win? Not, not a massive win, but a good win. The Grey Cliff Chateau probably is a, that's a, it's just a cigar that I have fallen in love with recently. It's about $30 and it's, it's fantastic. What's your favorite liquid pairing with your smoke? Club soda with a splash of bitters. Most interesting person you've ever met through cigars? Rocky Patel. Very unique guy. Um, you know, he came from out of the Hollywood industry, being an agent for a lot of actors. We've been fortunate enough to meet his brothers as well. He's done a couple of events with us. Just one of the most engaging guys you would ever meet. Very down to earth. Um, loves talking about cigars and as big as he's gotten and as big as his name is he will tell you that the thing he enjoys the most is meeting somebody that he can just sit down and have a cigar with and talk with that's awesome best place you've ever smoked nothing beats the beach for me sitting outside just especially early in the morning with a cigar, watching the sunrise, just, you know, it just sort of sets it up for what a wonderful day I'm getting ready to have. Most memorable cigar experience? An Amazon basin I saved for when my grandson was born that I smoked out on the dock at my house overlooking the lake. All right, some non-cigar questions. Are you a sports guy? Yes. 
Who are your teams? Been a Miami Dolphins fan since I was a kid, even long before Florida, watching Bob Greasy and Larry Zonka and, and those guys. So Miami Dolphins for football. Lived in Atlanta a little while as a kid. Lived next door to Daryl Evans, who was their third baseman at the time. So I'm a big Braves fan when it comes to baseball. Win or lose, because back then they were horrible when Ted Turner bought them. College, my daughter got both her degrees from UCF, so we're big Knights fans. Born in North Carolina, so I'm a big Tar Heel fan as well. Soccer, Orlando Lions, for sure. Um, I think that covers sports. Favorite athlete as a kid, and any current favorite athletes? As a kid, it was Pele, for sure. And um, favorite athlete today, and that's a tough one. Tell you, and I don't like the team, but I love watching Josh Allen play football. Mm. I mean, he just does it all. Yeah. Music genres you're into? Varied. I, you know, I will tell you. That Tonight there was a jazz band playing outside when we walked in. Yep, that's true. Um, you know, my playlist right now will have everything from some Def Leppard to some Andrea Bocelli on it. So, yeah, it's quite varied. There's not a, not a specific genre. Is there a specific band from your youth that completely transports you back and is like, it, it still resonates with your spirit? Oh, uh, Journey. Yeah. Loved Journey and Steve Perry, and, and we went to see them recently at, at Amway, even though Steve Perry's no longer with them. But you close your eyes and... and the, He's got a great voice. It's unbelievable. And they found them on the street. It's a crazy story. I, I remember, I think, seeing a 60 Minutes report about it, That's, and it was just... It, it, it's a cool story. It's a very yeah. cool story. Yeah. But, yeah, it would be Journey. Yeah. Marvel or DC? Or neither? Neither. Star Wars or Star Trek? If I have to pick, Star Wars. So you're not really a Star Wars guy either? Not. Okay. My wife will kill me now. <laughs> Why is she a Star Wars guy? Huge. A woman? Her classroom is all, she's a teacher. This yeah. is her last year teaching, but her classroom is all decorated with Star Wars. She just loves it. Yes. So, and so when I say, when we talk about Star Wars and I say, well, I saw the first three, she's like, well, those weren't the, really the first three because then there was the, <laughs> the prequel and the epical and whatever they are. Yeah. yeah. The sequel trilogy. Right. Dogs, cats, neither or both? Always grew up as a dog guy. My kids had dogs. When I married Lisa, I inherited a cat and um, the cat adores me. I have become a cat lover. At our age, though, I will tell you that um, no more pets, just simply because we're, we're a little busy and uh, I'm not big on making a decision. Well, we can't really do that. We gotta go feed the dogs first or something. So yeah, today it's a cat person, but I love animals. Do you have a nickname growing up or in, in college? Hammer. Why? I'm not sure. I think it was just something my dad used to call me and uh, it kind of stuck, yeah. What's one unusual fact that few people know about you? I made out with Belinda Carlisle from the Go-Go's. <laughs> All right, I need to hear this story. They uh, performed um, where I was at college in Louisiana, 
and uh, a few of us got to go backstage, and um, yeah, I got to make out with her. Well done. Are you a reader? Yes. Favorite one to three books not titled The Holy Bible? Boundaries, Tell No One by Harlan Coben. Tell me about that book. Harlan Coben is just a fantastic mystery writer. And uh, Tell No One was actually one that was made into a movie, but it's the premise basically is that a husband's wife disappears and um, is presumed dead by everyone except him. And he keeps sort of seeing some signs. Is, is that the one that Ben Affleck was in Gone Girl? Something no. like that? No. no. The movie is Tell No One. Um, and uh, if I remember correctly, it was it was not made in in America. It's not an English movie, so it's subtitled. Still fantastic to watch. But and so only the husband uh, keeps picking up these signs that maybe his wife is still alive, and and then there's just a series of events, and you'll have to read it. <laughs> Do you have a a scripture that you would consider like a life scripture, or one that the one that's has meant a lot to you throughout your life or maybe currently means a lot to you? Joshua 1.9, be strong and courageous. I've got that on a ring at home. I've got a ring that has that on there, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one, one I still hold to today. If you could live anywhere, where would that be? In reality, right here, because my kids are here. What's your greatest strength and what's your greatest weakness? I think my greatest strength is um, leadership. And I think my biggest weakness, there are several, so it's going to take me a minute. Probably still a bit too impatient. Who's been the greatest influence in your life? My father. You know, his work ethic early on. That, that I saw, I never remember a football game or a soccer game where I didn't look up into the same spot in the stands and see him every time, every game. He, he just made you feel like you needed to be accountable by his actions because he was accountable. And, um, you know, I think ultimately when I needed a significant amount of strength to pull through some things. Those were some deep-seated traits that he instilled in me that he probably thought were lost and long gone that were still in there. What do you do for self-care to rest, to recharge? Just be still. I'm, you know, I'm fortunate enough to live on a lake, so we have a dock with a chair, and there's nothing more peaceful than just sitting out there and, and just being still. That's how I like to recharge. Who's the first person you think of when you hear the word successful? Probably my grandfather. My grandfather and grandmother just celebrated their 80th wedding anniversary, Holy which is hard to believe. They're 97 and 96, and um, 
They're amazing people. And my grandfather worked the same job. He was in the Navy, Eric, and uh, worked for Burlington Industries his entire career. Came home every day for lunch for 30 minutes, made his sandwich and potato chips, and then went back to work. I remember you know, his, his greatest joy was being able to take his family, my dad and his other son and their children on vacation every summer. Usually it was to Myrtle Beach. Just his wisdom, you know, one of his sayings to me was, don't go broke pretending that you're not. And I think that's just a, a great saying. I'm sure he heard that from someone as well. But the, just the marriage, to sit and listen to the stories they can tell and um, about his mindset of just walking with the Lord and doing the right thing for the right reasons. So that's success for me. And he exemplifies that. Are you an early riser, a night owl, or pretty normal? I'm up by 5 or 5.30 every day. Not usually a night owl. Tonight I will be. Because it's 10.30 at night right now when we're recording this. Right, yeah. <laughs> if you were arrested with no explanation, what would your friends and family think you had done? Gotten in a fight. Really? You used to be a hothead? Yes, and, and, and I enjoyed fighting. And it's weird, I know, but I did, yeah. You seem like the most calm, laid back. Much more so today, for sure. The line that people used to cross has definitely moved a long way back now. What's caused that? Oh, I, I think everything that I've been through, my relationship with God today, just the recognizing, like we talked about, the ability to just be still. Today, it's, I'm much quicker to just push a pause button and process than react. And that wasn't always the case. Is that where the nickname Hammer came from? It, it <laughs> could be. You know, I remember, I'll never forget his name in South Carolina when we were kids. Billy, I won't use his last name, but my younger sister was crying and I asked her what was wrong and Billy had told her that Santa Claus wasn't real. So I went across the street and took care of Billy. And um, uh, he had some, his dog had made a mess in his front yard. And I remember I drugged Billy through it. And um, that night there was a knock on our door. And I remember my dad saying, Joe, come here. And so I came to the door and it was Billy and Billy's dad standing there. And my father asked me, did I do that to him? And I said, yes. And he asked me why. And I told him why. And um, then my dad told Billy and his dad they needed to leave or his dad was going to end up smelling like his son. <laughs> so. What's the best type of cheese? Blue. Blue cheese. Blue right. cheese. Joe, how do you want to be remembered? As a good dad. It's funny, you know, we've talked about successes which I've had in business and whenever people ask me what's your greatest success, what's your greatest achievement, it's such an easy answer. My children are really 
wonderful adults. They're successful and, um, you know, they work hard. And even with my struggles, the conversations that we've had is, you know, they, they still look at that, the influence that I had on them and what they see today. And, and it's been positive. And so to see where they're at, that's what I want to be remembered as. All right. Last three questions. What does Holy Smokes mean to you and how has it contributed to your spiritual journey? It, it means this family of brothers that share a number of things together, cigars being one, but maybe that's the least important one, faith being the biggest one. And it's a group of guys, some of whom I know well, some of whom I know a little bit. And there is no question that I could go to any one of them with a need. And even if it was only by prayer, that they contributed to that need, they would. If you could have a holy smoke with any three people throughout history, living or deceased, who would they be? Can't name Jesus. Billy Graham. Probably not a cigar guy. Probably not. Ronald Reagan and uh, Tony Campolo. Why? Why in all three? Billy Graham, just because I would love to know how did you achieve the level of discipline that you had throughout your life and I, I understand that spiritual walk. Well, I don't understand that spiritual walk at that level. But is that solely where that level of discipline came from for him? Ronald Reagan, just number one, what led you into politics? Was it truly a desire to serve or was it still sort of that a different aspect of public adoration? you know, that you would get from the acting world. I believe it was to serve. I'd like to hear it from him because I, you know, I think he did a phenomenal job at it. Um, Tony Campolo, I, I've been able to spend a little bit of time with him, not a lot of one-on-one -on -one time. So I have some questions. I've read a number of his books. I've heard him preach and I, I just, I, I love his stories and his passion and I'd like to hear more of them. All right, last question. If we're sitting around a year from today and you've got that club soda with a little bit of bitters in it and you got a great stick in your hand, what are we celebrating? Four more executive cigar locations. Ooh. Are you guys looking at any locations right now? We are. Where at in the Florida, in the Orlando area, I assume? Not necessarily Orlando. I'd rather them be a little farther out. I'd love to put one in Winter Garden. I'd love to put one in Ocala. I'd love to put one in the Delray Beach area. And ideally, I really want to find the piece of real estate where I can have a rooftop lounge. So that's, that's the goal. Joe Dalton, Executive Cigars here in Sanford, Florida. Thanks for being on the Holy Smokes podcast, my man. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.